Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. So what's going on tonight? She's lost her mind. Uh, I, I, I don't know how to say it. We're LDS. She thinks she's a resurrected being and a and a a God and member of the 144,000. She's come, Jesus is coming next year. She took all the money out of her bank account today. It's a dusk January night in 2019. Three men are standing around on a suburban street in Gilbert, Arizona. Two are police officers. The other is a man named Charles Vallow. So what makes her a danger to herself and to others? She threatened me, murder me, kill me. She threatened to murder you? Yes. This scene is being played out on grainy body cam video. Charles had just arrived home from a business trip and his wife, Lori, had locked him out. He's panicking about her behavior and worried about his two kids, JJ and Tylee. She said, you're not Charles. I don't know who you are, what you did with Charles, but I can murder you now with my powers. Charles tells the police that Lori has accused him of being possessed by an evil spirit. And she believes she's a god destined to help shepherd the return of Christ. He tells the police that she has threatened to kill him if he gets in the way of her mission. So she's speaking as a spiritual being. She's not here. She's lost her reality. So how does she pose a threat to your children? I don't know what she's going to do with them. I don't know if she's going to flee with them. She's going to hurt them. Charles is desperate to get inside to check on Tylee and JJ. Can I break into my house? Do you live here? Yes, I do. Okay. The police start helping Charles in his efforts to break down a door to find an open window, anything that will get him inside. You gotta get closer to the... You don't have a dog door? You have a dog door? With the officer's help, Charles eventually got back into the house that night. Door police! Somebody in the house? Lori and the kids weren't there. The two cops couldn't find any evidence of a crime, so they left. The whole scene between Charles and the police might have sounded like he had gone off the deep end. But it turned out, sadly, that he was right. 
tragedy was lying in wait. By the end of that year, Charles would be dead. And not long after his death, the kids would be too. Lori would move on to husband number five, a man who believed he was chosen by God to lead in the coming apocalypse, Chad Daybell. I'm Sarah Trelevin, and this is Madness of Two, an original podcast by USG Audio. Chad Daybell was a popular author and speaker among Mormons who looked beyond the mainstream church for answers. Chad believed he could see reincarnated historical figures living among us, that he could talk to the dead. He was well known for his views on the end times, the chaos soon to be unleashed by the return of Christ. And as weird as Chad's ideas and beliefs were, he wasn't alone in his convictions. In the mostly rural East Idaho community of Rexburg, where Chad and his family lived, fringe beliefs can get pretty fringe. Rexburg, Idaho, with a population of 30,000, is a quaint place surrounded by mostly farmland. The downtown is full of chain restaurants, pickup trucks cruise along wide roads, and American flags flap in the breeze. Its motto? America's family community. You know, I run into people all the time that say, it's such a nice, clean town, everybody's so friendly. I even had people say, yeah, now we want to move here. I'm trying to get my husband to get a job here because they That's like the so mayor of Rexburg, who is, unsurprisingly, a fan. The town was founded by a Mormon leader in the 19th century. And the Latter-day Saints Temple sits on the southeast edge of town. It's a massive white building with a central spire that stretches toward the heavens. Like the majority of people living in Rexburg, Chad considered himself Mormon, a member of the LDS Church. We were both raised that way, with uh, beliefs in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and that includes Joseph Smith and the Book of Mormon and those kinds of things, which also includes the Bible and, you know, traditional Christian beliefs. So that's tier one. This is Chad's friend. Eric Smith. He also lives in the Rexburg area. Tier two is a, is a fringe belief system. There is an unmet need in the church. People within the church who are waking up and realizing that there are things that are going to happen in the future, and it's scriptural, and yet it's not popular, not favorable to talk about it in a religious setting. Like Chad, Eric found himself moving away from traditional Christian beliefs. And so it creates the need for people to meet in these side groups, to be able to talk through things and share scriptures and share dreams and try to understand what's happening in the future. And so I believe as Chad came along, he started to fill that need for people. Like a need to talk about spiritual visions, about reincarnation, and the second coming of Christ. Some of these ideas are part of mainstream Mormonism. But these fringe groups took their inquiries a lot further. They wanted specifics. Exactly when will Christ return? What will the signs be? And what will happen to us when he finally arrives? I just felt the Lord telling me, go ahead. This is your right. You can research these things. You're, you're not a bad boy. You know what I mean? 
Chad wrote over two dozen books about his spiritual experiences and his vision for the second coming. This is Chad reading from The Aaronic Priesthood, his book aimed at young men who are taking on a leadership role in the LDS Church. Congratulations. As an Aaronic Priesthood holder, you are part of a great team that is growing each day and is sweeping the world. Chad is prone to very lengthy sports analogies, and he sounds less like a spiritual guru and more like someone who's talking in his sleep. The gospel of Jesus Christ has been restored, along with Heavenly Father's priesthood power, the authority to act in His name. If you live righteously, you will hold this power throughout eternity. Chad says his intimate connection to the spiritual world was forged after two near-death experiences. The first was when he was cliff diving at 17. The second, almost a decade later, when he was hit by a rogue wave while on vacation in San Diego. Chad said that he began to communicate with the other side. He believed he could talk to dead ancestors, to receive revelation from the heavens. We started getting the sense that people who are on the earth now that we know have been on the earth before. And that included ourselves, that included our, you know, local, our neighbors, people from our churches in high places even. And so Chad felt his gifts open up in this area. Eric says that he and Chad also shared a fascination with multiple probations, what you and I might call reincarnation. He came to my house one day and he pulls out his necklace and starts swinging it right and left. And he would ask a question like this. This isn't one specifically, but I'm just going to use an example. Is Donald Trump, you know, is he a pharaoh, you know, from the fourth century or something? And he would swing the necklace. And if it circled a certain way, the answer was no. If it circled a different way, the answer was yes. And then he would try to narrow it down more. Like, did he live in the 1800s? If the answer is yes, he would pry more and try to figure out, was he, you know, was he a government leader then or something? And I think he would sort of go into his, I might call it his vision mode, where his eyes would sort of look glazed over. And I saw him do this with uh, political figures, church leaders, um, celebrities, sports, sports people, pop culture folks. And he thought he had it all figured out. And, and I have to say, a lot of them really, really did feel right to me. I think a lot of them, he was kind of, you know. Like a lot of Mormons, Chad lived most of his life in Utah. But one day he heard a voice, and the voice said, moving to Rexburg will be a tremendous blessing to your children and your grandchildren. So Chad, in his mid-40s and the father of five, packed up his family and did just that. He's written that his wife Tammy was reluctant to leave Utah, but eventually relented. She was the one who found the tidy little bungalow the family moved to. Five years later, JJ and Tylee would be found buried in that very backyard. In Rexburg, Chad found community. Somewhere along the way, he started doing, I guess you might call them firesides, you know, where he would go to a small group of people at someone's home, maybe 15 to 20 or 30 people, and they would listen to him speak about his books, usually. They were enjoyable. He would talk about things as he saw them in the future. These firesides typically took place in someone's living room. Kind of like Bible study, but instead the focus was Chad's writings, his abilities as a prophet, how his visions for the future aligned with biblical scriptures. 
I just know a lot of those speaking events at people's homes were hosted by women. And I heard of groups of women meeting and talking about his books and and other spiritual things and kind of these at this point would be considered sort of breakaway groups from the church. Not not like they're starting their own church, but uh, just groups of, you know, like a book group. And um, I know some of the topics they discussed, and they were end-time themes. And I know polygamy was one thing that was discussed, which is a popular subject in Mormon culture. It became scary for us to become aware of how prevalent extreme beliefs were as we looked into this. Nate Sunderland? is an editor with the East Idaho News, and he's been an investigative journalist for over a decade. He's also a member of the LDS Church, and he's lived in Rexburg since college. It was very clear that there was a, almost a church within a church. The, these people think that they are above or that they have more knowledge than everyone else does. And that sets them above, above all the other Latter-day Saints. Nate has been covering the Lori and Chad story from the beginning. Chad has been portrayed as sort of a a niche guru, somebody who had almost like a bit of a side hustle as a prophet, even though he did other jobs. Had you ever heard of him or his books before all of this started? No, he he's not a particularly good writer, and he wasn't well-liked or well-known, except in certain circles within the LDS culture. There is a segment of of Latter-day Saints or Mormons that are really into the Second Coming, the End of Times, and in those small circles, his books did really well. But he certainly wasn't mainstream, and he certainly wasn't well-known among most uh, Latter-day Saints or Mormons. And can you tell me a little bit about his appeal to those groups? Why why did he sort of find fellow travelers there? Well, there is this idea in Mormonism that everyone's going to be exalted uh, in the last day, and we don't know when that's going to be. And that meant being ready for the chaos, disasters, and wars associated with the return of Jesus Christ. The desire to spiritually and physically prepare for it brought people together. And they joined groups like Preparing a People, which put on conferences focused on the end times. Some of these classes are just for the mundane tasks of learning how you gather a food storage or how you can prepare for tough times or sharing uh, perspectives on, I was able to get this piece of equipment. This is the kind of generator I'm going to use. There is also spiritual discussions. Chad was a frequent guest speaker at these events. But some people were there to talk about a more, let's say, mortal habit. We'd go and talk to some of these mostly women who had had Chad or several other people tell them that I've received revelation that you're supposed to be married to someone else. These men would say, I received revelation that I need to marry your wife. And so what do people do with that? I mean, this is essentially saying, I've received a message from the heavens that tells me I'm not married to the right person. Your wife is the right person for me. Remember that Mormons also have a background in polygamy. 
and there's still a, a belief among some that there's going to be multiple spouses in heaven. So it's not always about leaving the spouse. Sometimes it's about just getting someone else. To most people, it would just be an excuse to have an affair. I mean, that, that, that's really what it is. But they've wrapped it, they've wrapped adultery up in religion to dress it up as something it is not. And in practical terms, that's what ends up happening? Very much so. These people believe they've gotten a divine permission slip. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years? Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles. The Snap Judgment Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them, with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. It was through this lens that Lori came into Chad's life. The two met at a Preparing a People conference in St. George, Utah in late 2018. That weekend, there were breakout sessions about alternate theories of creationism and the connection between astronomy and the afterlife. Lori knew about Chad before she met him. A good friend of hers had been acquainted with Chad for years, and she said that Lori had read his books. Lori had become obsessed with the end times and preparing for Christ's return. And she had started to dip her toes into the same scene, the church within a church that Chad had been cultivating for years. When the two finally met, Lori and Chad were both deep into this world. But they still made an unlikely pair. Lori was known as the bright and shiny golden girl. Chad was the kind of guy who disappears in a crowd. He had a dad bod and buzz cut, wore plaid short sleeve shirts and tan pants. When he and Lori got together, it was sort of like one of those schlumpy sitcom dads with the hot wife. You know, he's he always came across as, as nerdy, a little awkward, but at the same time, it had in in the Mormon culture, I would say, a, uh, a sort of endearing charisma, you know, a, a spiritual charisma. After the conference, Lori and Chad stayed in touch. They talked almost every day, using phones they bought just to communicate with each other. One weekend, when Lori's husband Charles was away, she invited Chad to travel from Rexburg to her home in Arizona to discuss Chad's visions. Lori's friend, Melanie Gibb, was one of the other people invited that weekend. They just spent time talking about things. Um, 
they went on a walk together or jog in the morning together. I do recall that. All the things they talked about. It's like so personal. It's so hard to share with the world. Even though they were both married to other people, Chad and Lori's bond grew through their shared belief that Christ would return during the summer of 2020. Chad told Lori they had been married in past lives. And the pair believed they were destined to lead the righteous through the battles between good and evil that would come with the end times. What could be more romantic than a love ordained by the heavens? Ms. Gibb, you testified that you were there when Chad and Lori met, correct? Correct. That's Idaho Prosecutor Rob Wood at Chad Daybell's preliminary hearing speaking to Lori's friend Melanie. And you recently testified that Lori and Chad met up several times, correct? Correct. Lori's marriage to Charles had fallen apart. Charles filed for divorce. And Lori told you about these, these, uh, these visits, correct? Yes. And they were infatuated with each other, weren't they? Yes. In Charles's divorce petition, he lays out the chaos that marked the last few months of his marriage. He wrote that Lori believed she was a god, a translated being, that she could not die. Even more chilling, Charles said that Lori no longer wanted anything to do with the kids. Charles couldn't even find her to serve the divorce papers. At one point, she took off to Hawaii, leaving the kids behind. She told Charles that she had a more important mission. And she was the only one who could carry it out. Because in Lori's mind, she was destined to lead in the second coming. Over time, you see the role of their hubris really start to play into this. This is Annie Cushing, Lori's former sister-in-law from husband number three. You notice it in how they talk about their previous lives. So Lori and Chad both believe, allegedly, that they had lived multiple lives. She talked about you know, the pre-mortal world and how she had been a warrior. And these different characters, like, they were never, like, the cobbler of a town village in a previous life. It was, everything was big and grandiose. Like, Lori was Joan of Arc. She also claims to have been there when Jesus was crucified and Chad claim that he was married to Lori in other lives. Lori was married to the LDS prophet Moroni, you know. And and so, I mean, you see evidence of what appears to be like these delusions of grandeur. Chad's friend, Eric, believes Chad was guided by arrogance, that he used the Bible to justify a belief that he was destined for eternal greatness. Eric thinks that Chad saw himself as a biblical figure that would serve as God's right-hand man during the Second Coming. This person will come along and, I don't know how to say this, restore the order after times of chaos will help to prepare the way for Christ to come. This is a specific figure people are watching for who will make 
order out of all the chaos that's around us and will be such a, a leader of such impact that you would naturally want to follow this person and they'll, you know, lead you to safety. Now, in hindsight, it looks like there was a plan to sort of build this, this kingdom. A kingdom for Chad and Lori. It almost seemed like, you know, a group of kids who were like hopped up on too much sugar, just, you know, building on this story because it was so sensational and so difficult to believe that any even moderately sane adult could believe this. This seemed to be very attractive to them because they could kind of escape from the pressures of everyday life. So it seems to me like they had to eradicate anyone who stood in the way. And so you know, the, the kids seemed to get in the way of the mission. Five months after his divorce petition was filed, Charles was shot by Lori's brother, Alex, who claimed it was self-defense. Lori and her two kids moved to Rexburg, not far from where Chad lived with his wife and five kids. Two months after that, Chad's wife of 30 years, Tammy, appeared to die in her sleep. According to court documents, Chad and Lori were convinced that Tammy was also possessed, this time by an evil spirit named Viola. And then things got even worse. Did you talk to Lori about JJ that morning? I did. This is Melanie Gibbs' boyfriend, David Warwick, at Chad's preliminary hearing. What did she tell you about JJ that morning? She said that he was uh, being a zombie and climbed up on the cabinets, climbed up on top of the bridge, smashed her picture of Christ down, and then climbed up onto the upper cabinets and got between the top of the cabinet and the ceiling. Lori and Chad's belief that Charles and Tammy were possessed shifted to JJ and Tylee. According to a probable cause affidavit, Lori was convinced that both kids' souls were dead, displaced by evil spirits. We have no idea when things could have started to turn in Lori's head. The point at which she might have cast her gaze towards Tylee and JJ and no longer saw them as children she needed to protect. They were now zombies, otherworldly creatures she needed to fear. We also don't know what Chad thought, but we do know that he believed he could identify darkness in a person, that he would rank them on a scale of lightness and darkness, and that at one point, Lori asked Chad to rank her family. Police investigators believe that JJ and Tylee did not fare well. But we do know that not long after Lori identified her children as zombies, JJ and Tylee went missing. Nine months later, they were found dead, buried in Chad's backyard. East Idaho reporter Nate Sunderland has spent a lot of time looking into the lives of Lori and Chad before they came together and their worlds blew up. To Nate, much of what he's investigated can be explained by an understanding of Mormon doctrine and seeing where those ideas were pushed too far. But there is one part of the story that seems impossible to grasp. How could a mother follow a set of beliefs so far astray that she started to think her children were zombies? 
I don't know where that came from, but they said that they'd have to get rid of the person. And in doing so, that would free the soul of that person that had been trapped by this possession? I think in their minds, at that point, the soul of the original person was already gone. And this was their trying to battle against an evil spirit. When the bodies of JJ and Tylee were discovered, Lori was already in jail, having broken a court order to reveal the whereabouts of her children. But once it was clear the children were dead, she and Chad faced more severe charges, concealing or destroying evidence related to the deaths of JJ and Tylee. Everyone was waiting for someone to be held responsible, but initially police and prosecutors didn't seem to have enough evidence for murder charges. When those charges did come, almost a year after JJ and Tylee were found, prosecutors would make the case that Lori and Chad did not act alone. Next time on Madness of Two. I mean, Alex Cox was Lori Vallow's brother. And he also seemed, even at that point, to be the the family uh, enforcer. He's the guy who does it on behalf of his sister. This episode was produced by Beth Karras and me, Sarah Trelevin. Additional producing by Pacent Matar. Our production assistants are Danya Ali and Emily Morantz. Mix and sound design by Philip Wilson. Voice coaching by Athena Karkanis. Our executive producers are Kathleen Goldhar, Katrina Onstadt, and Stuart Cox. Our USG audio team includes Jessica Grimshaw, Josh Block, Jennifer Sears, Daniel Welsh, and Craig Bloom. Theme music composed by Boombox Sound. This is an Antica Productions podcast in collaboration with USG Audio. For more information, go to usgaudio.com.